0: By and large in medicine today, we're way too quick to prescribe a medication antibiotic because that's the only thing in your toolbox. The only thing that you have to offer is an antibiotic, and people are way too fast to give it. And they do a lot of good, but they also do a lot of bad. They're killing bacteria, and so they're also killing the good bacteria, and that can have a downstream effect in terms of causing you to have gut issues or other problems. But if you need it, again, take it, that's fine. But we should only do it when we really need it.
1: And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway
3: to well. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in again today. Uh, We've got a great chat with Dr. Joel Warsh who um, actually is known as Dr. Gator, which we think is kind of fun. More on the topic of kids' health. Um, We're doing some episodes that are really relevant to parents because we focused a lot of time and energy on wellness for adults. And uh, we haven't spent too much time talking about what parents can do for their kids. Dr. Gator is an integrative and holistic pediatrician in LA. He's got a really incredible practice called integrative pediatrics and medicine. And um, he takes a really kind of nice, integrative, holistic approach to treating kids of all ages, and especially um, in dealing with some specific issues surrounding coming out of the pandemic experience and keeping all of your faculties intact. We loved our chat with Dr. Gator, and we hope you do too. Thanks. Hey, guys. So you may have figured out by now that Zoe and I are huge fans of Functional
2: Mushrooms. And that's because their benefits are legit from increasing focus and concentration to helping you sleep and probably most importantly, providing incredible support for your immune system. And yes, that is actual science. You can check it out on our blog at earthandstar.com. But who doesn't need a little bit of extra immune support right now, if we're being honest? But anyway, the most important thing for you to know, actually, is that you have to have these fabulous fungi in your system every day in order to reap the benefits. So Earth and Star, our new brand, is making it as easy as possible for you to get the amazing benefits of functional mushrooms every day. Like if you've got a serious cold brew habit, there's a can for that. If you love your afternoon matcha latte, then we've got you covered there. And if you're not like G-Love and you're not feeling the cold beverages, then how about a totally delicious dark chocolate bar that also helps you increase focus and concentration while satisfying your sweet tooth. And it pairs super well with red wine. So we at Earth and Star have created as many ways as possible to help you elevate your everyday routine because we are not asking you to add another pill or a powder to your very busy schedule of supplements. We just want it to be as easy and absolutely delicious as possible for you to get some mush love into your life.
3: So check us out at earthandstar.com and get 15% off your first order with the code HTW.
2: So officially welcome Dr. So it's Dr. Joel Warsh, but are you Dr. Gator? Are you Dr. Joel Gator? How do we do this?
0: Everyone does it a little different. You know, most people say Dr. Gator online just because it's more memorable, but it's uh, my wife's last name is Intelligator. So that's why I got the like nickname Dr. Gator and it just kind of (laughs) stuck.
1: Oh, so did you take your, well, you didn't take your wife's last name, but.
0: Wow. Well, people started saying it and then everyone thought it was funny. And then it was kind of a little more memorable. So that's, that's kind of stuck. I mean, the office people say Dr. Joel, but usually online people say Dr. Gator. So you can say Dr. Gator, Dr. Joel Gator, whatever.
2: Okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. Welcome to all of you. So we would love to hear a bit about your practice and the work you've been doing. We, it's funny. We actually, we spend so much time talking about a variety of topics and wellness and a lot of it pertains to, you know, women's health and a lot of topics that kind of go unaddressed. And we talk a little bit about parenting, but we haven't actually spoken to that many. The pediatricians. So we're very thrilled to hear from you and have lots of questions.
1: And holistic, integrative pediatricians. Yes. Yeah.
2: None,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me, I did all the regular medical training. I trained at an awesome Western program, but I got a little bit frustrated with the regular system and super short visits and treating everything with a medication all the time. And so that's what led me down uh, a more holistic path. And I started learning about natural medicine and integrative medicine. I'm not against Western medicine at all. I just think that there's a time and a place and there are so many situations where something more natural can be a great First option, but I also think it's really important to have a, a good knowledge of uh, Western care because there are sometimes maybe where where something natural isn't appropriate, and and we do have a lot of amazing you know medications and technology that have been created over the last you know fifty hundred years, which can save your life. And so I'm not against anything you know of that nature, but we do try to blend the best of both worlds in my office, and and when I you know speak to parents and do we do podcasts and other. Know recordings. I I love talking about the blending of both worlds, just because I think that's so important. And we're so focused in medicine these days on treatments. And there's so little focus on prevention and wellness and healing. And I think, you know, realistically we need to blend both of those together to
1: say like both of those worlds, you're you're talking about eastern and western basically medicine.
0: Yeah, exactly. So eastern and western, or you know, modern medicine and holistic practice, and there's so many alternative. You know, "quote unquote" alternative remedies out there and alternative methods, but I think they need to be combined together because Mm -hmm. we're so focused on treatment right now. But but a lot of the other modalities are more focused on. Prevention and and keeping you healthy versus just treating you when you're sick.
2: Yeah, well, and I mean that, that's I guess how I I should have worded it when I when I said that earlier was that you know we obviously in our world so we have you know a wellness company ourselves we've got products and brands and all of that it's all about preventative health for us and for our peers and all of that but it is interesting and Zoe you can obviously speak to this better than I can I do not have children Zoe does I never it it didn't really register that this is just kind of how we should be thinking about you know children's health as well i'm i'm curious to know like what percentage of people you see that are you know super informed and wellness seekers in <coughs> themselves but maybe opt for more traditional route for their children until a certain point i mean this question for you, both
0: of you. You, you yeah i mean for me you know i think i have a very select population because they They seek me out when it comes to being a patient. So most of my patients are, I would say, a little bit more informed and definitely more holistic minded. But most people, most parents out there are are not. I think that's a very small minority. And I think that in learning about this and talking about it to most parents, most people are not against it. They just don't really know about it or never really thought about it in that way. But why wouldn't you want to use something more natural first when it's safe and decrease your risk of side effects and not take a medication. Or if you're on a medication, try to work to use natural remedies to decrease your medication. There's no downside in that. The only downside is if you don't do it appropriately or safely. But if we can blend those worlds together, then why wouldn't you want to, to do that?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of adults, a lot of parents are a little bit more I, you know, hesitant, obviously, when it comes to like experimenting, quote unquote, with their kids as opposed to, you know, for themselves, like for me, it's fine. I'm like, hey, let's try this one thing, this more you know natural approach, or let me just like sort of dabble with these herbs or supplements before I, you know, go the other direction. I think it's a little bit, you know, I think when when the territory feels a little bit more gray for parents that come, can be like a little bit you know you're already nervous enough as a parent so you're just like okay let's go with the tried and true which is kind mm-hmm. of bullshit because the tried and true is like what is it <laughs> you know ibuprofen right and tylenol mm-hmm. but i think it would be helpful like can you give an example of a situation where you know maybe there's a very common like illness or or sickness that kids get where like typically parents tend to do x y and z when they could in fact try blank
0: yeah, I mean that's a great question. And just even to go back before the example, what you were saying, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, there's so much. There's it's such a gray area. Even for myself, there's so few pediatricians do anything natural. There definitely is research out there, but there's not a lot. And most of the research is in adults. The good thing is for kids. Most kids are are stronger and more resilient than adults. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to handle most supplements. But obviously, with the caveat that. You can overdose child on anything. So if you give them too much of a supplement, that could also be dangerous. But that's where the research needs to come in, right? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't use it. We should just figure out how to do it safely, especially if there are fewer side effects. So you know, I think there is certainly some, some gray area, but that's where your pediatrician comes in because you still need to go see your doctor uh, or your practitioner and, and make sure that you're not missing a bad pneumonia or something more serious because there certainly are times where a medication is appropriate. But it's the, for those times where, you just have your first sniffle, and you're not even going to go to the doctor yet. Or you already went to the doctor, and they're like, "Yeah, everything looks fine. It's not an ammonia." But you know, come back in a few days if it's getting worse. We think it's just a virus. And and one really you know common example for pediatricians is ear infections, right? And ear infections very common. If you go to like an urgent care or whatever, they're going to look in your ears. Yeah, it's a little red. They give you antibiotics. They send. Why you are on your ear thing. infections
2: so common among children? By the way, sorry. Side note. So like um, I had them all the time when I was a kid,
3: and
1: it's
2: not like I
0: was a.
1: Can I try and guess? Can I try and guess?
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) go ahead.
1: (laughs) This is my, like, I like to turn everything into a quiz. Is it because, and this is, and this might not be true too, but like, is it because kids don't develop sinus cavities (laughs) until they're like much older? Mm-hmm. So there's like nowhere for the fluid to go, so it tends to mm-hmm. well no, that would be like a throat cough
0: thing, never mind so, so, so no so that's so that's part of it so I mean everything is you know somewhat connected in in the face right when we get sick and they they definitely do develop sinuses as they grow older, but it's more about the anatomy of the ears and the angle at which things drain so the angle changes so there's a lot easier for the ear tubes to drain out as you get older so that's why pretty much adults don't get ear infections but but kids can, but it still doesn't mean that every time you have some ear pain or a little fluid, you need to take an antibiotic. I mean, even if you go to the most extreme hardcore medical (laughs) side, look at the, the charts and most of the charts say, unless there's extreme pain, extreme fevers, you don't need to do antibiotics right away. You can wait a day or two and see if it gets better because most ear infections get better. Most ear infections are viral. And even of the ones that are bacterial, most are not treated by amoxicillin, which is usually what, what people get. And most of the times, you're going to the ears are going to drain on their own, it's going to get better on its own. And if you give a little bit of time, then it gets better. So, in the natural world, one of the most common remedies is garlic eardrops, and that helps with pain and inflammation. That's been used in for generations by you know grandmas and other societies, and so there are. A lot of times where people can come in, you can see that the ear doesn't look too bad. They don't really have any fevers. There's not a ton of pain. You can say, okay, try this first. Here's your prescription. Take it home if, you, if it makes you feel better to have it, but don't start it yet. See how it goes for the next day or two. And nine out of 10 times or more, they never need the antibiotic because it gets better. But if you go to you know a regular urgent care and they look at your ears, it's a little red. They pretty much give you a prescription all the time. And they don't say wait two days most of the time. And And-, and and that's prime. Why do we want to be doing antibiotics if we don't need to? We're going to become resistant to them. We know that. So- yeah, my
1: friend actually just had a. Uh, this is just the other day. I was talking to her. She's got a nine. Uh, no, not that old. Nine or eight month old had his first fever, turned into a ear infection, went on antibiotics like immediately. Couldn't get the fever down, and then when they were almost done with the first round, it was sort of like discovered that she wasn't keeping the antibiotics in the fridge, which you're supposed to do. So the the pediatrician was like. Oh, I don't know. Questioning the efficacy, and and therefore said, "Let's do another round." And oh, So they God. started another round, and then thankfully she went to a new pediatrician, and they were just like, "Stop! Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just cut, just stop." Yeah, so it- I was like, you know, that's that's a that's in my mind. I'm just like, oh my God, this kid is so young. He's just totally mm-hmm. wiped out his gut. Yeah, he didn't have. You know, he, this, this is also a baby that was. You know for the most part, formula fed, you know, it doesn't, might not have like the same like level of resistance or gut health just to like begin with. I don't know, it just kind of was like setting the stage for like so many other things to happen.
0: Right, right. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And and again, I was, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know the situation and what the ears look like and all, all the details, but you know, there are absolutely situations where antibiotics are reasonable and, and they can save your life and that's fine. But by and large in medicine today, we're way too quick to prescribe a medication antibiotic because that's the only thing in your toolbox to use. And when a parent leaves, a lot of times they want you to do something. And if the only thing that you have to offer is an antibiotic, then people are way too fast to give it. And they do a lot of good but they also do a lot of bad just like you said they're they're killing bacteria and so they're also killing the good bacteria and that can have a downstream effect in terms of causing you to have gut issues or other problems but if you need it again take it that's fine but we should only do it when we really need it and just because your ear hurt a little bit for half of a day when you have a cough and congestion you know maybe in that situation if 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 they had have said okay well do a little bit of a you know a little pain reliever try these drops and then let me know in a day or two how you're feeling. And if all the symptoms went away, then you wouldn't need any antibiotics in the right. first place. And you would save that whole two courses of antibiotics, right?
2: So like, here's a prescription for like, suck it up a little bit and get over it.
0: Right. But, and it maybe it would have gotten worse <laughs> and you would have done the antibiotics then, right? But it, <laughs> right. you know, if, if nine out of 10 times we stopped antibiotics and you just use it when you really need it.
1: Well, yeah. it's hard to, I mean, I know you say like, suck it up, but that's like, a you know- no, I'm kidding. A, no, I know, but it's like, you know, for, for, <laughs> for the- all the the size that I just heard from people who are potentially listening to that is just <laughs> like oh God, because you know it's like the sleepless nights. It's like the pressure of of like you know when your kid's sick. It's obviously like, you know, you want them to get better, but you're also just like I also need to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, like if you're up all night. So it's like all these other outside influences too. But. Well,
2: and then to your earlier point, I think there is still hesitancy around doing something that is not as tried and true. And if you know that antibiotics you know, really do address any and all levels of problems immediately for better or for worse, then I can totally understand why there's an inclination just to go that route, especially because, you know, again, like they, it you know that it's going to take effect immediately. And I would venture to guess that a lot of those, that, that, that same Venn diagram, there's not a ton of awareness on just how bad antibiotics are for your gut. And also just how like, Fragile an environment a child's gut is because it's still developing. Like I think that's that to me feels like sort of the next layer of knowledge that the the average parent, even if they're reading, you know, certainly the conventional books and and articles, are not necessarily seeing that. Maybe some are starting to understand, like, oh, okay, you know, probiotics are important, gut health is important, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily the degree to how important it is and how critical a a stage it is when when the children are young.
0: Right and also you don't you don't want to take a medicine just because you know it's not about if your kid is miserable and crying and they're sick you know that is horrible for any parent but Taking an antibiotic for a virus doesn't get you better any faster. You literally only get the negatives and you get no positives. And most of the time when kids are sick, it's a virus. So you want to use the antibiotic when you need it to kill a bacterial infection. And if you do have a bad ear infection that's bacterial, and that's fine. But just just giving an antibiotic and just taking it just because you want to do something That's going to cause you more problems than it's going to help, as opposed to just trying to comfort them. And I get it. I get every parent does not want to have a crying kid. I have a two-year-old. I get it. I I don't ever want them to be in pain. But just taking a medication isn't always the answer. It's just the answer when it's appropriate.
1: So just switching gears slightly to sort of talk about diet and nutrition a little bit and kids. I'm assuming that the the same pillars of health that exist for adults also are the same for children. Maybe there are other... (laughs) Other pillars that that we should know about, but you know, you could if you could walk through that a little bit and how you how you think about that or modify it for kids. But also, I'm really curious. I think you know, supplements in, in my life are <laughs> very important, and I imagine that for kids, um, especially because they don't typically eat a lot of the foods that they should be eating. Because my kids just eat, you know, right. everything that's like white and brown, and I mean, whatever. It's a struggle. Is my point. Assuming because of the struggle, there's a lot of like nutritional gaps. What are the like top supplements like if if you could say, like what are the biggest nutritional gaps that you see in kids and like how can you solve for those with whatever supplements?
0: Okay, so yeah, two two good questions there. so I'll start with the. First part with the foundation. So I would say yes. I think the foundations are the same. We're very similar for kids and adults. These are not you know rocket science type things. I call it the seeds of health or the foundations of health. So for me, I call it you know stress, environment and toxins, exercise, diet and sleep. So those are the kind of the big pillars that I talk about with with my patients. And there's no different for a kid or an adult. You need to have good sleep. You need to get some exercise. You, you know, you need to eat healthy. You need to decrease our stress. And we got to not surround ourselves with so many toxins and touch and, and ingest so many toxins. So those are the big foundations that I talk about with my patients. And we can kind of go back to that if you want a little bit more, but I'll answer the second part of your question. Uh, and then we can go back wherever, you know, wherever you want to take it next. But for for supplements, so to me, you know, kind of what you said, I think is really the most important point, even before we talk about what supplements take is the diet, right? I think that no supplement can replace eating healthy, certainly better than than nothing. And lots of kids are very picky and doing supplements is... Certainly reasonable, and an adults, also reasonable as well. But in the long run, what we really need to focus on is making sure that our kids are getting the nutrients through their food as best as we can. And I get it—you know, terrible twos, their whatever age they are—they're they're only eating certain things. But our goal, at least as parents, should always be to get it through food, and then to supplement around it just by boosting up their immune system a little bit. And and the big one, so number one, you know, most common nutrient deficiency would be vitamin D. Everybody doesn't get enough sun these days, and so everybody, if you pretty much check their lives are, are vitamin D deficient so much so that a lot of times insurance companies won't even pay for you to do a vitamin D test anymore because they just assume that you're low, which is, you know, crazy. So again, you know, with that, I mean the answer is try to get a little bit more sun and go for, you know, more walks and, and things like that. But certainly vitamin D supplementation can help iron iron deficiency is a pretty common one. So there are lots of supplements that have iron in it and then you know vitamin C is a good nutrient that a lot of people people take but other than that I think just a good multivitamin should be fine if you're if you're vegan then b12 is important to have as well but I'm not a huge fan of supplementing just because forever I think you know good multivitamin is fine uh, a lot of times people will do like an omega uh, if they don't if they don't get a lot of meat or, or fish or things like that and then uh, like a probiotic, you know, is the most common ones that I see. Other than that, I think focusing on food, unless there are medical issues. So I think if you do have certain medical issues, then getting testing to check where your vitamin levels are so you can be targeted can be really helpful. But by and large, if a child is healthy, then you should be getting your nutrients from your food.
2: Anyway, so we, so I had a question going back to diet because you mentioned, you know, if if you're vegan, then you supplement with B12. What is your position in terms of dietary like preferences not i'm not talking about allergies i'm saying like lifestyle dietary lifestyles as it pertains to kids because obviously there are you know a number of you know choices that we make as adults but do you have like do you see anything that's common like oh vegan parents that don't allow you know x y and z and then you end up with deficiencies or or what what is that whole experience like for you
0: yeah, not really. I think you can be healthy with just about any any diet. It depends on the quality of the food that you eat and just making sure that you're well rounded I got lots of patients that are vegan and vegetarians and they're super healthy. You can be absolutely more healthy as a vegan or vegetarian than a meat eater for some people. You know, they do need some meat. And there are every once in a while times where somebody does want to be vegan or vegetarian, but for whatever reason, their, you know, their chemistry and genetics, they don't they get pretty sick and then eating some meat can help, but that's rare. You know, But even
2: you're talking about like in young kids as well. In
0: young kids. Yeah. I, I've seen it before. I've seen, I've read stories and seen, you know, different you know, anecdotes every now and again, but it's rare. Most kids that are vegan or vegetarian are extremely healthy. And if you're a very hardcore vegan, then the only thing you wouldn't get is B12. So just taking a multivitamin mm-hmm. would, would be fine for that because you don't need very much mm-hmm. uh, B12, but really there's no other, I don't restrict my patients. I don't, have any discussions around, you know, you're vegan and I'm concerned about your health. No, most most people that are not vegans and vegetarians eat so crappy. They eat way more crappy than any vegan or vegetarian. And you know, mostly it's the chemicals and toxins and the preservatives and the and the you know, not real food that's the problem. It's not so much that we're we're not eating meat or fish or, or whatever it is people choose. You know, if you want to eat some of that, that's that's fine. But I don't think you need and
1: I think that there's also I I mean at least from what i understood you know even if you are a meat eater you should still be supplementing with b12 because you know they're kind of like missing it in the soil anyway and like what kind of meat are people actually eating and all that jazz but yeah interesting what about iron deficiencies i always think like if i had to go back and do it again cuz i didn't have any you know like right when they right when they popped out i think maybe like baby's first food. I wonder if like organ meat would have been like a good choice just because it's so iron rich. And I was very anemic as a kid. And I feel like maybe one of my kids is anemic. I mean, do you have any opinion on that?
0: Yes so in terms of let's just call like American Academy recommendations so usually around 9 months or a year you're checking hemoglobin to look for iron deficiency anemia just because there is a little bit of an increased risk for a low iron in those in that first year there's a lot of research around that it, iron's not super well absorbed from breast milk and there's not a lot in it so you could run the risk potentially around 9 months to a year to be to have some iron deficiency so it is reasonable instead of just taking a supplement which you could, if you don't have a specific knowledge of an iron deficiency issue, than to be taking foods that are iron rich. So doing organ meats, I think, is reasonable, and I feel like that's going to be some is going to become a little bit more trendy and popular over the next few years. Because I, you know, I've even seen like organ meat supplements now, and, and just just a lot more knowledge around that. So I I don't see that as being a problem if you're open to it. Again, if you know if you're vegan, then you're probably not going to want to do organ meats. But for for people that are open to it, I don't see any. Downside to doing that, especially if you're going to supplement with an iron, you know, as just a supplement, better to get it from food.
1: Yeah. No, I don't eat, I'm actually, uh, I don't eat meat, but you know, I cook it for my kids.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, that's always a tough decision for parents, especially if they are vegan or vegetarian, as to what to do for their kids, because it's, you know, you're imparting your beliefs onto your child, which is, you know, they might have different beliefs when they're older, but you also have to be a parent sometimes and choose what you feel is best for yeah. them. so it's 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 a, it's a tough discussion but realistically at the end of the day the thing to focus on should not be meat versus not meat it should be eating healthy versus not eating healthy reading the labels buying real food i can guarantee you a vegan that buys healthy food is going to be a lot healthier you know 99 out of 100 times than someone who eats a lot of meat but a lot of crap
2: yeah <laughs> so i think just zooming out for a little bit because i do feel like it's again it's it's more of a unique approach then than conversations that we have on a regular basis. Like what do you feel is, and I know you're not vilifying Western medicine and I think we all agree that the integrative approach makes the most sense, right? Nobody's here to say like you can only take one approach and there's plenty of advances in Western medicine that have benefited all of us. but what do you feel that Western medicine or sort of the old school like approach the Dr. Spock or whatever it is, like what do they have wrong about early childhood, Health and development, and then even into adolescence. I mean, what 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 are kind of like the key things that you feel like you you wish were more sort of universally accepted from the integrative school of thought?
0: Yeah, I think. Well, the biggest one, really, you know, kind of going back to what we started with, was, is focusing on treatment. We we know right now that. Over 50% or around 50% of kids, depending on which study you read, have a chronic disease. The rates of diabetes in the last two years have doubled in kids. The rate of autism now, it's over 2% of kids have autism. I mean, the numbers are staggering. They're skyrocketing and they keep going up. So we are absolutely doing something wrong. We're missing something in modern medicine, and that is focus on preventing kids from getting to this place. And there's nothing wrong with using Western medicine, again, if you need it. but a lot of our focus, because of the way things were 100, 200 years ago, where we were so worried about uh, infection, kids dying all the time, and, and outbreaks, I mean, obviously, there's new outbreaks to worry about. But you know, in general, for where medicine was, that was the big focus 100 years ago, and creating medications and treating things. And that's great. And we have great advancements, and you can get cancer now, and you can cure a child. So that's amazing, right? But we're also now seeing a, a huge rise in chronic disease in asthma, allergies, autism, autoimmune conditions. And that's because of all the other things, because of our lifestyle, it's because Mm -hmm. of our diet and the chemicals that we're surrounded by and so many different things. And so we have to change the paradigm a little bit of medicine and change the focus back to thinking about how do we improve those foundations and how do we prevent kids from getting sick? And if they are sick, then how do we decrease their medication or get them back to a place of of health and wellness? And, And that we're just so out of balance. We're so focused on treatment and that's a lot because of the system that we're in and and the you know the insurance based model and all these things where you have very short visits you can't really focus on a kids you know diet and nutrition in 3 minutes right you need half an hour you have to spend a lot of time talking about it and kind of going back through history but the current model just isn't set up for that and and doctors to learn all this other stuff have to go learn it themselves. I mean, we've already done so much school. Uh, how many people are going to be like, oh, I'm going to go learn more myself just because I want to. And it's like, they just kind of follow the pattern and keeps you safe. And, and, and there's a lot of good to the medical model. Obviously, it's built to keep people safe. But this model was built a long time ago and things have changed. And so therefore, we kind of need to migrate a little bit back. And you don't have to be like, oh, let's just do this homeopath of everything. That's not what it needs to be. We just need to start having an acceptance that the world around our kids matters and we need to start focusing on those things. And and it may just be that we have to work a little bit more in teams and, you know, maybe the doctor isn't necessarily the one talking to you about your nutrition and your sleep uh, and your exercise. Maybe there's, you know, someone on the team, just like this is my hope and dream for the future is, you know, you go to the dentist, right? And you go see a dental hygienist and they do the whole thing with there for 45 minutes. Then your dentist walks in for like three minutes. Well, maybe in medicine, we're going to need that. Maybe we're going to need some other person on the team that you're going to go to your doctor and you're going to spend 45 minutes talking about your life. And you're going to go see your doctor and then they'll check your ears, to make sure you don't have an ear infection. <laughs> but that's what we need to do, right? We have to change the paradigm to focus on health. And you can't do that in three minutes. So if, if a doctor can't do it, then maybe somebody else can. But- we have to do that. We just have to. Yeah, every kid's going to be sick. Every single one's going to have a chronic disease in ten years or whatever yeah. the is going to be. Like Such looking a at the disturbing page. statistic already. Well, on the
1: note of, I mean, we all understand the, the you know the reasons behind the sort of spike in diabetes and all of that. Autism is a little bit more confusing to me. Like, is that something that you know is like? Do you connect that with? Diet and nutrition, or is that something that's a little bit more like, "Hey, you're just this you were born with this."
0: You know, <laughs> like- it's a really tough. You know, it's a really good question, and it's a really tough question. I I think the reality of autism is autism is a is a label, right? It's a label for a lot of things that kind of overlap, and so there are probably many reasons why kids have autism. You know, from birth issues and and, and genetic factors to environment and toxins. I think the vast majority of it has to do with our environment and toxins there's no question about it i mean these are issues that barely existed if at all 100 years ago and all of a sudden you know we have every you know one in 44 is the latest statistic that i've seen you know has has autism so we didn't change as a human species that much in 100 years right that's just the environment so we're obviously surrounded by things that are, that are causing this. and But we don't have any idea what that is yet because it's still such a new phenomenon. And it's a really hard thing to study because it's probably caused by so many different things for kids. I mean, there were, we're breathing in air with chemicals. We're eating food with chemicals. We're sprayed with pesticides. We're just surrounded by chemicals at all times. And we're also nutrient deficient. Just like you said, the soil is so you know devoid of, of nutrients and we over farm and we think we're eating healthy when we're half the time not even eating healthy because the food's been you know, picked two weeks ago and then shipped across the world and goes through x-rays and does all these things. And you're like, oh, I'm eating an apple, but that apple was picked like a month ago. <laughs> you know, it's cool. like, it's not the same thing. And it was picked from a place that doesn't have the soil that's proper because you're, you know, you're farming it every year, whatever. It's, it's a whole other probably topic for another day. But the reality is we don't have the nutrients and we're are surrounded by toxins. So what do you expect to happen? If you eat crappy food and you don't have the nutrients, then how is your body not going to have issues?
1: this is you're painting a very bleak this is all very upsetting it's like because other you basically I'm gonna have to just like move to Canada and you know start my farm if I have any chance of survival (laughs) like because otherwise just you know it's it's a it's it's hard it's a tough one but
0: it's not all negative I think the reality of it is that we have to understand that nobody's going to make our family healthy. We have to have some responsibility, especially if you're a parent. You have a lot of control over the health of your family. We see it all the time. If you change up the diet, if you sleep a little bit more, if you get more exercise, things go in the right direction. And it doesn't mean that you know, you're know you never going to have, you never can eat a piece of cake again. You never can eat poorly. But if we are buying you know, the crap that you can buy at the, the store and not reading chemical or not reading labels and f- filling their bodies with chemicals and not buying organic when you can if you can and, and not buying real food then over time this stuff builds up in your body and some kids get sick but the numbers keep going up and that's because our food gets worse it doesn't mean there aren't better options but we have to you know understand what's going on and then make small steps to go in the right direction because most kids can handle, most of the stuff around us, right? It's just at some point, they get overflows and they just can't handle it.
1: Right, yeah. And again, if there just aren't that many, I mean, kids just, it almost is getting worse as they get older in terms of like the variety that they'll accept into their diet. But like when they were younger, I was like, oh God, I'm just like feeding them everything and they're loving it. And now it's like, oh boy, they're just, for getting very finicky. And especially when you look at kids, this is another very shocking thing to me. So we're like in the CPG, like consumer packaged goods space. We're in the wellness. We're like, you know, making healthy snacks for grownups and all the rest. When you look at the kid aisle, it's like, why hasn't this been like totally all the kids' snacks? Like the amount of just, just one example that I see in on every label that drives me absolutely mad for adults, but especially for kids. Because again, if they're eating these same snacks every day, because this is like the only thing they'll eat. It's like the amount of seed oils that are Mm -hmm. in all of these snacks. That even you think about a a quote-unquote wholesome brand like Annie's Homegrown, whatever, you know. And it's like frank and cheese and the mac and cheese, and then it's just like the you know. And by the way, I buy buy some of this stuff too, so I'm not like. (laughs) I'm not, you know, shaming anyone who does, but, but I think for, for most people, like they see sunflower oil or safflower oil or canola oil, and they're just like, Oh, vegetable oils are good. Like, that's cool. But it's just like the, the labels and kids snacks are not, not very clean. Like not even, or like so much of it is conventional, not enough organic options. I mean, like what, what, what is one to do?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, the exact correct observation, right? I mean, it it is what is going on. And it's adult food and kid food. It's all the same. I mean, there's way too much crap in the food and not all of it doesn't need to be there. It's just there because it's cheaper and easier. And, and that's kind of the direction that, uh, especially in America, but in a lot of the world has moved just to do things cheaper and bigger and faster without you know, really taking account of what's in the products. And you can see that very clear. Just you look at food in Europe and America, and there's so many laws that don't exist that exists there that don't exist here. The food just has this entirely different label. And that's just, you know, that's more of a macro issue that, you know, a parent isn't going to be able to handle. But that's something that we do need to take account of in the long run. But yeah, there's way too much, way too many oils in the food. And there's also way too much sugar. There's sugar in everything. And that's not to shame anybody for having a snack bar. It's not about eating it every once in a while. It's about if this is the only thing that your kids are eating or if they're eating this plus the other package food that you buy for dinner every day, plus the other package you know, snack that you give them every day for school, it adds up. If you do it every now and again, for the most part, it's not going to be an issue. You don't have to change everything. But we do have to recognize that basically almost all things that you buy, if the company doesn't really think about your kid's health or your family's health, then they're going to have ingredients and they're not going to be good for them. And it adds up. And so, you know, have your snack when you want to have it, but just really focus on preparing foods as much as you can. And I know that people are busy and it can add up, but this is just a priority now. It just has to be a priority. You know, we I I went to fast food when I was younger. I didn't know any different. That was just a part of it. I mean, we were marketed to and the world changed really fast and now we're seeing the consequences of it. You know, everybody's getting sick and and now we have to be like, okay, well, you know, maybe again we have to reprioritize having a garden in our home and we need to reprioritize you know, three times a week or every day or one time a week, if you can't do it, you know, I'm going to cook food for my family. And I know exactly what goes in and I'm going to buy good ingredients and we're going to have good, wholesome food. And you keep working on it. It doesn't have to taste crappy. You know, you don't have to eat broccoli raw. You don't have to get, there's lots of ways to prepare food. And if you don't know how to prefer, prepare food in a way that's going to be tasty for them. The internet's a great place for that kind of stuff, right? There's so many recipes and chefs and cooks out there that could prepare all these different versions of foods. And, and this is just a priority. I mean, it, it's it, just like you're saying, it's like, we're busy and kids are picky eaters, but you know what? So what? Like We have to find a way to get our kids healthier food or they're going to be sick. We just don't have a choice anymore. And so we need to prioritize that going forward and say okay this is going to be what i'm going to do and doesn't mean that it has to be overwhelming you don't have to change over all the food in your house you don't have to cook every single meal but just start somewhere if you don't cook ever cook once a week if you you know never buy organic go look at the environmental working groups uh in dirty dozen and find that the products that are on there that you buy every week. you Maybe you buy strawberries and your kids love it. So buy that one organic, and, and then you're at least decreasing the chemicals. And there's a great study out of Berkeley that was done a few years ago that they looked at the chemicals in urine in a bunch of patients, and they took them when they were eating normally. And then a week later, when they were on a, a healthier diet, and the chemicals went down by 90% in one week, 90%. Yeah. You know, that's a huge difference.
1: Versus non-organic?
0: Yeah, exactly. So just eating healthier and and and. In changing out what, what was in the food and went down 90% in a week. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. I mean you know, talk
1: staggering. about staggering choosing your choosing your battles, right? It's like we have a certain allowance for like the the shitty food, right? And the sort of like bad, you know, bad things we do to ourselves, maybe the guilty pleasures. So mm-hmm. if you can like I don't know, like just pick and choose, you'll have like so much more room to play if like your entire daily diet every day, all day doesn't consist of just like crappy mediocre food.
0: Right. And it's, it's hard for us to think about the future. Right, think about your kid in 10 years. But if you were like, hey, if you could cook one meal a week and that's all you had to do, you know, for a parent that's never cooking at all, if you cook one meal a day for a week or one meal a week for your kid and then they're not going to get asthma 10 years from now, of course you would do it. Right. Everybody would do it. But it's just, it's so hard to see. But that is the reality. If we don't start doing this, your kid will have something. That's just where we're going. One out of two kids has a chronic disease right now. So you have two Uh, kids. One out of two. I have two. (laughs) (laughs) But we also. Those are the numbers, right? So I just, I just, it's not to scare anybody. It's just the reality. But the, the good news is we have control over that. Many people that do these things, they reverse their disease. They never get sick. It's not like every kid gets sick, but it's just that we're going in a bad direction. So we need to make changes.
2: We do. And I think I think, you know, in sitting here and listening and, and and really, you know, kind of exploring this, I think what's disturbing to, to me is that, you know, we're obviously speaking from a position of relative privilege where we get to make these choices a little bit more easily. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. going back to the statistics you were sharing earlier, having to do with like lifestyle diseases and specifically diabetes and childhood obesity, a lot of times this is happening in communities where you don't necessarily have the choice of buying $7 worth of strawberries once a week for your kid. So it's much more of like a socioeconomic like systemic Mm -hmm. issue, which, you know, we're obviously not going to solve in a conversation on this podcast, but like that piece of it is, I think what is so gutting to me is like, we're still, we're still, you know, even if we in 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 the positions that we can speak from are are making better choices and doing everything right, there is an entire population that it doesn't get addressed in the same way, and that's you know, in, in arguably a larger, more concerning issue.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, and I think that you know, in general, the systemic issues need to be addressed, but it's not necessarily the same topic for. For this discussion, because to me, it's, when we're doing this here, you know, we're talking to the parent who can make the changes for their own family based on, you know, make it if you're somewhere and you have no food and you're going to have very different medical issues that you're dealing with. But we're, when we're talking about chronic disease from eating unhealthy or living in it, you know, it's it's a certain subset of, of families. And for those people in that position, then we have to make those kind of changes for other kinds of things. We need other kinds of changes. We absolutely do. And there you know, are huge Food issues when it comes to socioeconomic status—that's you know for a whole other day. But I, yeah. I agree with you totally because I know exactly what you're saying and I think that it's it's so important to acknowledge both ends of this. But you know, for my job as a pediatrician, it's it's taking care of the families that I take care of, and it's it's talking to the parents who are you know listening to this right now. And and this is something that if you're listening, then and we have to make a change. Together, and if everybody starts making those changes, then companies will start making the changes because they're gonna—they're not gonna create a food that no one's gonna buy.
2: Yeah, I feel like we're already seeing it start to happen, even with like big dairy, right? Like all of a sudden, they're coming up with plant milk, you know, Mm -hmm. coming out of like (laughs) Chobani or wherever, because they know that there is kind of this sea change taking place as awareness rises.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So, aside from nutrition, diet, nutrition, exercise, environmental issues, toxins. How is, especially in this COVID moment, how have you seen stress just impact uh, kids' health,
0: kids' health? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, It's been a disaster, right? I mean, mental health was becoming more and more of an issue systemically for years, but the pandemic absolutely poured gasoline on on a fire that was already there. And I mean, mental health issues went through the roof. The Hospitalizations went up 30% the last year or two. Suicide rates have gone up across the board. Uh, Stress and anxiety disorders went from like, and I've seen some it's like ten percent to thirty percent, and depression rates. It's just everything's gone up. And even just speaking personally from the office, you know, most of the visits for a long time started to focus around mental health. And you know, just seeing people, you know, parents and kids. They just it was very, very tough. I mean, it was a very tough situation for everybody. And you know, we're at a certain place now where for many people it's at least a little bit better in the somewhat more normal of a space. But you know, it takes a toll on you. No one, no one's ever. We have never been through anything like this. And so there's no guidebooks of exactly how to handle this, but, but definitely mental health and stress has taken a significant toll and it's a big deal. I mean, if you're stressed out every single day, then you're going to get sick with something, right? That's just, we know that. And, and that's not any, it's not a good way to, to live. I mean, to be stressed about all these things all the time. So that's another you know, whole piece of the puzzle, but also, you know, even when it comes to the pandemic, I mean, when you look at the, the comorbidities of what, what has led to the significant outcomes for most people. It's obesity, diabetes, and anxiety and fear disorders. Mm. So those are the the you know, some of the top comorbidities that we've seen. and and I hope that if there's one good thing to come out of the pandemic, it's going to be a focus on health. It's going to be a realization that our health does matter. And just like everything we talked about before this, you know, whether it's the pandemic or anything else, this isn't new information. If you have obesity or diabetes, you have an increased risk to get sick from anything. That's not to put shame on anybody who, who is overweight or or is has diabetes, but these are significant risk factors. And if we keep seeing the rates go up, then you put yourself at risk for anything. You put yourself at risk for cancer. You put yourself at risk to get sick from any virus. And, and so that's why it's so vital that we focus on our diet and all of these other things for kids because the diabetes rates have got doubled, right? Well, it's not surprising for sitting at home and reading crappy food and Terrified, then what's going to happen? You're going to get diabetes. Right. And so we need to be like, okay, I don't want my kid to get there. So I need to change their diet. And if they are, if they, if you already have diabetes, then there are so many things that you can do to improve your health and to decrease, you know, those numbers and to make you get back to a place of, of better health. And so it's just such a vital focus, not just the pandemic, but that hopefully opened up everybody's eyes to how important this stuff is because we saw it on such a mass scale and such a Short amount of time, but as a doctor, this is nothing new. This is the way it is for every disease.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> I, I, I wonder what the long, you know, long term effects of this, you know, on kids. We're going to see just some very different adults, and like,
2: yeah, for sure,
1: twenty years it's than what we we expected. That'll be a new surprise that we'll have to deal with probably at the time. But I you know we're. Kind of getting near our time. I just have one question that is definitely like a bit of a one-off. It's a very technical question I have to ask because I, <laughs> I was having this conversation with a friend of mine recently, and it occurred to me that like she, I have another friend who had this like weird memory of like, you know, being around a certain age at the pediatrician, and you know, not totally like a little bit too old to whatever. So the question is this: When does a person? A child sees a pediatrician typically up until what age?
0: Eighteen into the twenty. I mean, there's no one age, but usually when kids go off to college or or, or you know that kind of age range, they will switch. But every once in a while, someone will come back from holidays and and get seen. But eighteen to twenty is pretty typical.
1: Which is pretty old, and I never. I don't think I saw a pediatrician past the age of like sixteen because at that point I was sexually active, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like. Oh, well, now you're you're grown, you're going to a doctor, you're going to a gynecologist, maybe you like, you know, you're talking about birth control, whatever it is. But I do have like, I, I, I have a memory, I was probably in like elementary school or something where it was like, oh my God, for the first time a pediatrician is like, not for the first time, but for the first time where I was like aware of my own kind of like self-conscious about my body, is like mm-hmm. checking out my naughty bits and sort of like, you know, making sure everything in the mm-hmm. regime is okay. And I just wonder because I think that there is a lot of confusion around this. Because having I was having a conversation with you know my friend, like I said, and it was like, wait, what how old are you supposed to be when like you get your penis or vagina checked out by a pediatrician as a sort of like more mature? I'm not talking about like a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, and what does that exam actually look like? Like what what is normal and what is not normal? Sure, and I, sure. I actually don't know for myself as a parent. Like this is kind of surprising when I think about yeah. it.
0: No, wow. it's a good question. Very different topic. We took a turn. Very different
1: topic. <laughs> <but you> we <know, laughs> okay. like to throw in a little curveball at the end.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like-
0: okay, so so number one, so a family adult doctor, they can see kids too. So it also depends where you are in the world because a lot of places don't even have pediatricians. So a family doctor that sees adults could see kids. And a lot of times in the teen years, you, they do switch. Like the parents have a doctor that they really want. The kid's more comfortable going to the adult doctor. So you can switch at any point that you want to. But where in bigger cities, especially, there's pediatricians, so we see kids all the way way up. Now, in terms of your question, so technically as a doctor, at least from what you're trained, you're supposed to check everything all of the time. Now you don't necessarily do that, but especially when you know kids are growing up, if there's no concerns, you might not, you know, do a full vaginal exam or you might not do a full check every single time if there's no concerns. But certainly if there's a concern, we would always check. And that would be at your yearly checkup. So theoretically you should be checking every single year. I think most people at this point in time don't, you know, when when we grew up, For the most part, doctors would check every all the time, every time you know, no matter what. I think nowadays it's a little bit changed, and and a lot of doctors don't necessarily do a fully undressed exam every single time Mm -hmm. an adult or teenager comes in, unless they have a concern about that. Uh, And when when, when you
1: get like really, really detailed, and I know Mm -hmm. everyone makes everybody uncomfortable, but like, Mm -hmm. is there an internal exam for like a?
0: no. no, no internal exam. So you wouldn't. Generally, a pediatrician would not do an internal exam unless there was a you know major concern, like something going on that would would spur you to have to do it. Especially before a period, you would you would pretty much never. Do that. Maybe you would send to like an OB if you needed to, because if there's like an intact hymen or something like that, you wouldn't want to do that exam. But if there's a medical problem and you need to, then then you would. Usually for a pediatrician, you would do an external exam. So you would be looking to make sure there's no rashes, make sure everything looks normal. And then for you know, boys, you might be checking the testicles, make sure there's no lumps. You can look to make sure there's no you know rashes or things like that. Generally, it's not an internal exam, that's more of an adult thing. So oftentimes when kids get older and they're now teenagers, 15, 16, 17, whatever it might be. If you have concerns or you do want to do an internal exam, then usually that would transfer to the obstetrics gynecology and they would do that. Uh, Old school, the pediatricians and doctors did a lot more. So they might've done it in their office back then. It's not so much anymore because there's such a better access to care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's easier to just have a gynecologist do it, but some doctors too, but that was still for sure. wouldn't be till you're older.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right, you know what? That is very that is very good information to have. And to my friend who's listening now, we know that was not appropriate. But well, no, uh, I
0: mean, but with the Kevin, I don't know what was going on there. So maybe you don't know what was going on, but there right. might have been a concern or something they saw as to what yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> for, for, for sure. But no, I mean, I think it's it's good it's good information to have. I don't think a lot of parents know like right. what right. that line is. I, I certainly didn't. Anyway, thank you for answering that question. Thank you, bro. one. I know we like to talk about wellness, but like the <laughs> wellness umbrella is a big one. So mm-hmm. it incorporates a lot of things. Well, I think we touched on a lot of things. Is there anything that you want to 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 focus on or, or discuss before we wrap it up?
0: I think just going back to all the stuff that we talked about in terms of, you know, it's not doom or gloom. I really, really hope that out of the pandemic, people have a better, have a wake up call to how important our health is and realize how much, comorbidities and obesity and diabetes and all of these things can affect your health. And then start to, to really think about that and start to make small changes in your family to move your family in a better direction. Because again, you don't have to do everything. You make a few small changes and that can make a big difference for your family. So don't get overwhelmed by this. Don't think it's doom and gloom. Don't assume your kids are going to get an issue. The point of talking about this now is to prevent it from happening. Right? And if we don't change something now, then we're going to go in the wrong direction. If we do, then those numbers will start to go back down again.
1: Amen. I know. Yeah. Micro progress is Ariana Huffington likes to say.
3: <laughs> you like
1: to say that.
2: Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for sharing all of this with us. We're, you know, again, just very, very excited to be able to touch on things that we don't normally get into on a on a deeper level. So it's really helpful to hear all of this from you. Yeah. And yeah, we wish we wish you the best with your with your practice. And you've got a whole team, right? You've got a whole like group practice.
0: Yeah, we have a team and, and then I do a lot of like online stuff too. So if, if anyone wants to check it out, Dr. Joel Gator at Instagram's so probably the easiest place to find me if you have Great. questions. <laughs> Thanks Joel for having me, guys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Dr. Gator, is super helpful. Thanks. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social
1: at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.